Good. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Come on. Uh, for a couple of years now, we have been gathering on the first Tuesday of every month, as DJ just said, uh, for the purpose of prayer. And um, we are going to continue to do that. But as we have now been graciously given a new tool to be used by, from the Lord and for the Lord, uh, there's some ways that we want to just mature a bit what that night looks like and grow in what that light night looks like. And so uh, what we used to call deep, uh, because it happens on the first Tuesday of every month, we're going to call it this super creative name. We're going to call it First Tuesday. You guys good with that? And uh, at our first Tuesday gatherings, here's what that time's going to look like. We're going to open uh, with a time of prayer or a time of worship or some worshipful element. Uh, we are then going to move into a time of training, teaching, or equipping on one specific topic. So I'll tell you what November's topic will be. And then out of that training, teaching, equipping, we're going to move into a time of focused prayer together as a church family around that topic. And so a, a, a month before each of these nights, as the elders gather in their elders meetings, we're going to be seeking the Lord and discussing what is it we sense God wants wants our church to be focused on in prayer at our next gathering, our next first Tuesday gathering. And so uh, really these are times that our elders are, are leading the congregation and what they're sensing God wants us to be devoting ourselves in prayer to. Uh, at the end of every first Tuesday, uh, the elders and their spouses and their wives are going to be down here in the front. And so if there's uh, anything you need pray prayed for, uh, if anything you need uh, anointed and prayed over for the purpose of healing, anything you want to discuss with an elder, anything you just want to yell at an elder about, okay, uh, this is where we'll be every single month. You don't have to wait till the first Tuesday of every month to, uh, to engage with our elders, but we want you to know that when when you come on a first Tuesday, we will be right up here at the front after to engage, to pray into, and to guide anything that we can. And so um, the fir our, our first first Tuesday, November 2nd, uh, we're going to pray into uh, the uh, we're going to pray about family. We're going to pray about our marriages. Uh, we're going to pray about parenting. And we're going to pray over the family unit and us growing as families and all that God wants us to grow in. Now, if you hear that and you're like, I'm not married or I don't have kids, will you still come? Will you please come? Because together as a faith family, as we move into in the weeks ahead a, a section of Ephesians that's devoted to the family, we want to devote time as a church family to praying about that. I'll also let you know, uh, this first First Tuesday is an opportunity for us to do something a bit unique. Uh, we had planned a, a, an opening celebration on our first Sunday in here with the rain of that weekend. We bumped that, and so on November 2nd, we will have our opening day celebration. And so you can show up here at 530. Uh, we're going to have fun. We're going to have some food trucks come and just eat dinner here. And then at 7 o'clock, we will begin uh, that first Tuesday time of worship and encouragement and prayer. Um, and so I hope that you'll be here for that. I hope you'll prioritize this, and here's why. A, a couple of reasons. One, um, because we're a two-service church, this really gives us a monthly opportunity to gather all together in one room. That's really important for us as a congregation, that we would be united in worship and prayer all together in one setting. Uh, the, the second reason I hope you'll prioritize this is because uh, we got to pray. We got to pray. The Lord tells us apart from him we can do 
It's like, do we believe, Brock, do you believe that? I certainly don't act and live like it a lot. And so we have to be a church that gets on our knees together, seeking hard after the Lord. Uh, uh, the Lord in my own personal study time has had me captivated by a Hebrew word you find all through the Psalms and all through the Old Testament of earnestly seeking the Lord, shahar, that we would earnestly seek the Lord. I want to be an earnest seeker of the Lord. Who wants to be an earnest seeker of the Lord? And so we got to come together and we got to pray. Now, if you're a parent of young children, which I know many, many in our church are, come, bring your kids. I know that the sound of 7 to 8.30 with young ones sounds anything but a fun time of spiritual meditation. It's okay. We're family. Um, one of my three-year-olds, um, uh, he was, had a little cough, so he wasn't going back into kids' ministry. I'm halfway through the first service sermon, and I see my three-year-old up in the back row there rolling on the ground, throwing a fit. And I'm like, oh, no. It's okay. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's okay. Our kids need to see us pray, and they need to see us gather as the church and pray. And you know what? Let me just preach the whole sermon about this. Shall, shall I? No, no. Uh, but I hope you sense this is a high, high, high priority for us. And I hope you'll join us on November 2nd. Now, grab your Bible. Uh, let's get into Ephesians chapter 5 uh, this morning. We are, are, are really um, uh, in the heart of the second half of this study in the book of Ephesians. The second half of this study is what we're calling walk in Christ. It's all about our walk. And if you're, if you're newer to our church or if you have no faith background at all or no Bible knowledge at all, uh, this idea of a walk is, is, is a picture that the Bible often uses to describe our relationship with God. And so we, we're looking at this intensely, and um, we are in the, the midst of a, a two-part sermon right here. I preached the first part last week, second part today, and it really flows out of what we see in Ephesians 5, verse 1. And Ephesians 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore be, be what? Of who? Be imitators of God as beloved children. And so this wonderful reality that those who've been adopted by Christ are children of the living God. And that once we've been given a new heart by God, uh, he is sanctifying us. That's the big Bible church word. That means he is growing us into a greater likeness to his son. As we grow into that likeness, we become more and more imitators of him, imitators of his character. And then uh, the rest of this section of Ephesians chapter 5 begins to unpack for us what does it look like to live as imitators of God. And kind of the big, the big idea of last week and this week as we put it all together is this. As God's children, we imitate him as we walk in love, walk in the light, and walk in wisdom. So last week, we looked at a, a greater understanding of what it means to walk in love and walk in the light. And then today, as we come to verse 15, we want to we really unpack what does it mean for us to walk in wisdom? What does it mean for us to walk in wisdom? Uh, verse 15 says this. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as what? 
but is wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We have an amazing opportunity this morning to really let God's word be the very word of God for us to lay our lives next to it and to truly ask, am I really walking as wise? Am I really making the best use of the time? That's what we're after today. Father, help us to that end. Let your word be your word. Let us humble ourselves under it. Speak, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Open, always open, when I ask a question, always open book. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not walk as unwise, but as wise. We want to talk about what it means to walk in wisdom. Now, um, as verse 15 begins, it tells us to do something. What are the first two words? And I, I always preach out of the ESV. The, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in a seat around you. You might have a different translation. But in the ESV, what are the first two words of verse 15? Look carefully. Uh, this word carefully means to, uh, to, to, to look precisely, uh, to, um, to, to, to give careful attention to, to give close attention to. And so we are instructed to watch or to look with precision on how we're walking. And then it tells us, not in an unwise manner, but in a wise manner. And so um, Paul begins to expand this idea of what it looks like to walk wisely, what a wise walk looks like. And he goes on to say, it looks like, verse 16, us making the best use of the time. Who's convicted? You with me? Making the best. Making the what? Not moderately good use of the time. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that the days are evil? Um, uh, there, there's, there's a lot to that little, little phrase right there. And, and how, I'll say it like this. It's both an understanding of morality and an understanding of measurement. I'll explain what I mean by that. When, when Paul writes that the days are evil, it's both an understanding of morality and it's an understanding of measurement. And now from a moral standpoint, when we see the phrase in the Bible that the days are evil, I think we all morally understand what that means. That, that as we look around in general, there's a cultural current, as I often speak of, that moves away from the Lord and the things of the Lord and the commands of the Lord. Moves away from a, a, a following after Jesus as Lord. This is what it means that the days are evil from a moral sense. 
But there's, a, there's, there's more to that statement than just a moral sense. There's also a statement of, of measurement. The days, are, the days are working against us. There's a brevity to all of this. There's a coming end to all of this. I was reading this past week, um, a book, and in this paragraph, I believe the author of it just given unbelievable grace by the Spirit of God to be used, was writing about the day of the Lord. And I'm reading this paragraph overcome. I'm literally saying under my breath, this is going to happen. The day of the Lord is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back and judge in righteousness. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen like this before we know it. And so this, this idea that the days are evil, we understand from a more, all we have to do is like look around, read the headlines, um, be at a Big Ten football game, which I was this past weekend. And you look around and you're like, oh my goodness. But it's also this measurement, that Paul's trying to communicate a brevity to this. The days are working against us. There's a time factor to this. And time moves fast. Anyone with me? Young mamas, you've been in the grocery store, right? Kids are screaming in the cart. Some well-intentioned, older, empty nester mama comes and says, enjoy it. <laughs> it goes fast. I'll show you fast, right? Like, I know it when I stand in my 82-year-old neighbor's driveway and we talk life. And he looks at me and he gets misty-eyed at times. As he just tries to communicate to a 34-year-old what ultimately matters. There's something too, there's something that the Bible does in connecting and understanding of the brevity of life and a heart that gains wisdom. It's not just an Ephesians 5 thing. It's, it's all through the scriptures. Let me read a, another one of these passages. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days. Why? That we may get a heart of wisdom. God, teach us this. Teach us to number our days. Teach us how to make the best use of the time. Because the days are working against us. We need you to teach us how to have a heart of wisdom. And so the, the overarching kind of uh, section here is about how do we walk in wisdom? How do we walk making the best use of the time? How do we walk with an understanding that, uh, that we're flowing against a current that is, uh, for the most part, against morality, as God would say, it, and it's very short, very brief. We only have a limited number of days here. And in fact, when this sermon's done, you'll have been 30 minutes closer to standing before the Lord than you were before it. So, Paul, help us more. How do we gain a heart of wisdom? How do we walk wisely? He expands on this. He expands on this with two statements of not like this, but like this. Not like this, but like this. You don't want to walk unwise, don't do this. You want to walk wise, do this. Verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be what? How, I love that. You want to walk wise, don't be a fool. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what? Understand what the will of the Lord is. So let's unpack this. To walk in wisdom, the first sub-point of this is don't be foolish. Rather, understand God's will. Uh, what, what does it mean to be foolish? How do we know if we're being foolish? How, how do we know what's wise as God defines wisdom and what's wise as the world defines wisdom and when it's worldly wisdom, it's foolishness in God's sight and how do we know the difference between those things? Well, fortunately for us, God has given us his word. And throughout his word, he will tell us, our God is such a good father. He's not left us trying to wonder, well, God, what is foolishness? He's like, I'll just tell you, read my word. I'll tell you what foolishness is. Even more fortunate for our sake, he has given us parts of his word that are wisdom literature. Literally study this and you will grow in wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a gift from God in this. Proverbs will tell us again and again and again and again what God defines to be foolish and what God defines is wisdom. Look at how the book of Proverbs begins. You can see it on the screen. It says this. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Who can read those seven verses and go, I'm not real interested in the rest of what this book has to say? We want that. We long for that. God, we don't want to walk foolishly. Thank you for your word that will guide us. If you're not reading Proverbs, read Proverbs. There's 31. You can read one chapter of Proverbs a day, and the Bible promise you will grow in wisdom if you apply what it says. And so don't be foolish. Rather, Understand God's what? Understand God's will. Now, when it comes to an understanding of God's will, I think we can sometimes have a very like mystical and ethereal, oh, the will of God. I remember being a college, you know, my last year of college and trying to understand like, what, God, what do you have for me after this? And really wrestling with what does God's will really mean? And, and I want to just bring some concreteness to an understanding of the will of the Lord. I, I don't want us feeling like we got to like go figure out some weird and wacky way to understand God's will. Again, if we want to understand God's will, let's turn to God's word. We want to understand God's will. Let's look at God's word. What does God's word say about God's will? Let me just read a couple of these. They'll be on the screen. A couple of things as it pertains to the will of God. Jesus, when he's modeling prayer, he says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if we want to get after an understanding of the will of the Lord, we got to bring ourselves into a place of humble submission that we actually want his will. That we actually want his will. 
And so Jesus, as he's modeling prayer, he says, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then these weren't just words to Jesus when he was in the garden and when he was praying about the upcoming crucifixion and he's saying, Lord, if there's another way, yet not my will, but your will be done. And so from a will of the Lord standpoint, like if all of us today, if, if the only thing we walk out of Redeemer Bible Church with this morning is an open-handedness to say your will be done, what might God do in our lives? What might God do through our lives? Some of us are too close-fisted around what our will. Open your hands. He's way better at planning your life than you are. As I've said for six years now, you, you're a, you stink at being God. I love you. I'm feisty today, okay? Like, it took me a few weeks to get into my flow in a new building, but I'm getting there, okay? Open your hands. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We come to faith in Jesus Christ. We get a new heart. The work of the Spirit in our lives is renewing our mind. It allows us to be able to test and discern what the will of God is. We want to like demystify the will of God in a sense. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this. For this is the will of God. What's the will of God? What's the will of God? For this is the will of God. Your, the will of God is that you would grow in Christ-likeness. The will of God is that you would be sanctified. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you may abstain from sexual immorality. That's God's will. 1 Peter 2 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And so... We want to grow in a walking in wisdom. Don't be foolish. Look to God's word as it describes what foolishness is. But instead, understand what the will of the Lord is. Look to God's word to guide you into an understanding of the will of the Lord. Now, now hear my heart in this. I'll so often run into people who are like, man, I just got to go discern what God's will is. And they leave their Bible behind and they go off to wherever. Go off to wherever, go to the mountains, go to the woods, go to wherever, but bring your Bible with you. Because the Spirit of God is going to guide you through the Word of God into the will of God. All right. Is that clear? Don't be foolish. Rather understand God's will. So walk in wisdom. Not like this, but like this. And now he's got another one. Walk in wisdom. Look at what it says in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. You want to walk in wisdom? Not like this, but like this. You want to walk in wisdom? Don't be foolish. Rather understand God's will. You want to walk in wisdom? Don't get drunk. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, you come to this verse, and you're like, wow, that's really specific. Like, where did that come from? Why, why is Paul talking in general about wise living and then such a specific, don't get drunk. We have to remember something. Paul is writing to a group of people. Paul's writing to a group of people uh, that are living in a major metropolitan a pagan city of the day. All of these people in their former pagan way of life would have got drunk for everything. Hang out with friends, get drunk. Go and worship your gods, get drunk. It was a part of life. And Paul is saying, you want to walk in wisdom? Put that aspect of your former life away. Do not bring yourself under the influence of alcohol anymore. Instead, live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You want to walk in wisdom? Let me say it. Don't get wasted. is applicable to us in our day and our cities as it was to them in their days. Don't get drunk. And don't bring me any of this crap about, well, how, like, how much is too much? Stop. Is Buzz drunk? Shut up. No, I'm, I'm like, where's our heart when those are the questions we're after? He says it's debauchery. Debauchery in the Bible means unrestrained indulgence. We're to be people marked by self-control. I would go back to Big Ten football game I'm at. I'm sitting there going, one of the ways we just look different as believers is just to not be drunk here. Like, there, there's a way higher bar than that, but, like, that's a great starting point. When's the last time, in this context of walking in wisdom, when's the last time you heard a story that went like this? Then I got really drunk, then I made really good decisions. <laughs> when, who's heard that story? I've not heard that story. And I love you, I, I love you, you always know when I say that something convicting is coming next. I love you, but don't let yourself off the hook on this. I know, I know, I know, but when I get together with the buddies that one week in a year, stop, stop. I know, I know, I know, but when the girls and I go out, not I, that's for the women, when the girls and I go out and we, stop, stop. Don't let yourself off the hook on this. It doesn't say, this is debauchery, except that weekend with the boys. You're good. It doesn't say this is debauchery, except when you go out with the girls. It doesn't say that. In what other areas of our life do we say that's sin and I know, but hey, come on. Now, I just went hard after what some of you in this room know all too familiarly. If you need help, come tell us you need help.
We want to help. I realize I just went hard after that, and I also realize some of us walk into a church on a Sunday morning hungover from Saturday night. And some of us just need to grow up because we're being dumb and foolish. But others of us are so deeply entrenched in it. And you got to lift a cry for help. I promise you, if you lift that cry, you will not be met with shame on our end. Do not get drunk. Do not bring yourself under that influence. Instead, be filled with what? Got to understand a bit of the way this is worded. The way this is written, the way Paul writes this, what he is communicating is that we are to be continuously filled by the Spirit. We are to be being filled all the time by the Spirit. That we're to avoid the things that would bring us, the substances and things that would bring us under their influence, and instead, we are to live under the influence of the Spirit of God. We are to be filled with the Spirit continually walking in a surrender to the Spirit's control in our life, walking under the Spirit's influence. And then, because I think all of us, okay, what does that look like? What's the characteristics of a people under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Spirit-filled people are singing people. Spirit-filled people are singing people. Like, I'm not really a singing person. You are once you come to know Jesus. He puts a song in your heart. And we sing it together. Look at, look at this. Singing and uh, uh, addressing one another in what? Psalms and hymns and addressing who? One another. We sing with each other and to each other for the encouragement to one another to worship the Lord together. So when we sing corporately, we're singing together. We're a, a, a singing community. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another. So there's this horizontal nature of a, of a song in the heart of a spirit-filled person, but it's not only a to one another horizontal reality. And the, then goes on to say, singing and making melody to who? To the Lord with your, with your heart. 
So when we worship, yes, our mouth moves and words audibly come out, but the worship flows from the deep well of our heart. We're singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts because what God wants is heart worship. Like, go read the prophets. When he's like, oh, stop, stop, just stop. I don't want your just empty words. He wants our hearts. People filled by the Spirit are singing people. He goes on, verse 20, giving thanks when, giving thanks when, and for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. People under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they sing, and people under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they give thanks. They give thanks always. Always is a lot of times. And they give thanks for everything. Everything includes a lot of bad things. You know it, you've seen it, when you have watched a follower of Jesus who just got train wrecked in life, and you've seen a spirit of legitimate thankfulness from the, for the Lord from their heart, only the Spirit of God can produce that. Only the Spirit of God can produce that. You can't muster that up. I can fake a lot of thankfulness until life lays me flat on my back. And listen, I'm not saying the thankfulness that flows from the Spirit when life has laid you flat on your back looks like putting some facade of happiness on the outside. I'm saying it's something the Spirit does that flows from our heart in the midst of the overwhelming and crushing grief pain that God has brought. I mean, I'm just looking out here and I know what some of you all have been through. I don't want you to believe that having a thankful heart always and for everything means a fake facade of I got to appear like I'm happy through this. You're not happy through it. It's a thankfulness the Spirit does in the heart, in the midst of the grief. Spirit-filled people, people under the influence of the Spirit, they're singing people, they're thankful people, and then verse 14, uh, sorry, verse uh, 21 says this. Submitting to one another out of what? So people under the influence of the Spirit sing, they give thanks, and they submit. Uh, the idea of submitting there that Paul is writing is to, um, to arrange under to subordinate yourself, to come under. 
And when that's of the Spirit, it's a coming under, an arranging under that's done gladly and willingly. Y'all, I don't think I have to tell us this. Apart from the work of God in our life, in our natural flesh, in our unredeemed state, in our, with our unregenerate mind, who wants to arrange ourselves under someone else? Even after we come to Jesus, Brock, how much does your heart at times buck against this idea of willingly, joyfully, and gladly submitting yourselves under someone that God has called to lead me in some spiritual way? And the work of the Spirit in our life not only works in us a humble, glad willingness to arrange under those who God has put over me, but it also speaks to the heart of why I'm doing that. Submitting to one another out of a reverence for who? Out of a reverence for Christ. So when an authority figure in my life, like someone in a car with red and blue lights on top, pulls me over, my response in that moment, the humility of that moment, is out of a respect that God has put in place of who I'm to come under and out of a heart that wants to revere Christ in that moment. Not that that's ever happened to me, but some of you all might know that feeling. And in every authority structure that God has put in place. It's the Spirit of God that's alive and at work in our, heart, in our hearts when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so, we're told at the top of this chapter, be imitators of God as beloved children. We imitate him as his kids, as we walk in love and walk in the light and walk in wisdom. We want to walk in wisdom? Don't be foolish. Rather, seek the Lord's will. You want to walk in wisdom? Don't get drunk. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. And in this, as God's people, we imitate the character of our Heavenly Father and we shine like bright lights in the midst of a crooked generation. All for the glory of God. And so, Redeemer, if you would, stand to your feet. I'm going to send us out of here. May our good and gracious God convict us where we need convicting. May he encourage us where we're walking in ways that are pleasing to him. And may he guide us in all of it towards hearts filled with wisdom that, leads, that lead to lives imitating him, all for his glory. Redeemer, you're loved, you're sent.
We'll see you here next Sunday.